0: It is an epic story that is set in the war-torn, poverty-stricken streets of 19th century France. This individual who had been in prison for 19 years because of murder was placed on parole. Inmate number 24601 was given parole papers to be set free the story is a redemptive chronicle of Jean Valjean. When Jean Valjean received those parole papers, realizing that they would mark him forever as a social, social outcast, he broke parole and ran on his own. He was relentlessly chased by the officer Javert. One night, he, he sought the safe shelter of a benevolent bishop, and this hardened criminal repaid that benevolent bishop by stealing some of the sacred silver the local police caught him returned him to the parish and the priest shocked Jean Valjean by lying to the police saying that that silver was not stolen it was a gift in fact this man had left the premises with not all the silver that was intended for him the single act of magnificent mercy wrecked Jean Valjean. In fact, he would say that his life was forever changed because of that one action of that bishop. And such is the beginning of Victor Hugo's work, Les Miserables. A single act of magnificent mercy can radically transform the life of one individual. That thought is not original with Victor Hugo. No, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus demonstrated one single act of magnificent mercy, and it changed the course of history for all mankind. This morning, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 10, as today we continue in our sermon series of this great gospel I will be reading from Mark chapter ten, verses forty six to fifty two. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand in reverence of the public reading of God's holy word. As this morning, I want to preach to you a message simply entitled "I Want to See." Mark chapter ten. Let me begin at verse forty six. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus that is the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and to the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Jesus and his disciples were making their way to Jerusalem, and they were going by way of Jericho. Jericho is located about 20 miles northeast of the sacred city. The road that leads from Jericho to Jerusalem is a dangerous road. In the first century, with all of its twists and turns, it provided many advantageous hiding places for would-be thieves and robbers. It's no accident that Jesus chooses that road as the setting for his fictitious story, the Good Samaritan. You may recall that story. Jesus says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They beat him, stripped him, left him half dead. Everybody who heard the story nodded in affirmation saying, yep, that's what happens on the Jericho road. That's what happens on that road because it's very dangerous because thieves and robbers are always lurking around every corner. And while the road was dangerous, it also needs to be noted that the road was well traveled. If you were coming to Jerusalem from that vantage point, that was about the only way that you could get to Jerusalem. You had to go to and through Jericho, go through the road and on the road up to the sacred city, the holy city of Jerusalem. Yes, the road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho is dangerous and it is well traveled. And because of that, it is well littered with beggars, people lining the streets, begging for a few silver coins or a few gold coins in order just to make ends meet. This is when you and I get introduced to one of the main characters of our story. Mark simply calls him Blind Bartimaeus. Before you know his name, you know his condition. This man is blind. Presumably, he is born blind. And because he is born blind in the first century, He is subject to being a beggar. I'm sure that Bartimaeus shuffled his way to his normal spot. The place along the road where he always went to sit and beg. He plopped himself down and he waited. And everybody that passed by, he had the same question. Money for the poor, alms for the poor. Do you have a few coins that you could spare? And this is the way that Bartimaeus eked out his existence in the first century. Now, on this day, Bartimaeus realized that this was a different kind of crowd. It seemed to be a larger crowd, seemed to be a a more boisterous crowd. One of the primary reasons is because it's almost Passover. People are making their way to the holy city of Jerusalem because Passover is literally just a few days away. Passover is that great Jewish festival that commemorates the Exodus event whereby God liberated the Jewish people with a strong hand and an outstretched arm from the shackles of slavery in Egypt. And God's people have been doing the annual trek to Jerusalem Once a year, every year, for nearly 1,400 years by the days of Jesus. And so it wasn't uncommon for the crowds to be uh, teeming and stuffing the streets as they made their way up to Jerusalem. And for blind Bartimaeus, a large crowd is a good crowd. It's good for business because a lot of people are there. They are generous. They're on their way because of religious activity. And so uh, usually this is when he can make his bank. Usually this is when he can really make a lot of money because people tend to be more generous on their way to church. And as they're making their way up to Jerusalem for Passover, he realizes that there are many people there and they are on their way to this religious festival, Blind Bartimaeus knows that this is not like every other day. There's something different about this day. All the sounds are stuffing his ears. Just think with me about all the things that Bartimaeus is hearing in this moment. I'm quite sure he hears the clip-clop of donkeys as they make their way along the road. I'm sure that he can hear the rhythmic rolling of the wagon wheels as they are being pulled by those beasts of burden. And as those wheels are rolling, the dust and the dirt and the rocks are being kicked up into the face and lap of Bartimaeus. I'm sure that Bartimaeus can also hear the playful sounds of children skipping in the streets. Off in the distance, he can hear what sounds like singing that's beginning as families are caravan caravanning together up to jerusalem and they're singing those familiar songs those psalms of ascent those songs that would have always been sung as families and groups of people made their way to the holy city oh we can hear the tambourine that is marking the rhythm of the song He can hear merchants as they are talking, businessmen as they're carrying on conversation because the men didn't want to sing. So they were just walking along talking about how business was going. And as they passed by blind Bartimaeus, they dropped a few phrases or words that he could pick up on to realize what all was going on around him. And oh yes, I'm sure that he heard the clinging and clattering of coins as they rode along the cobblestone streets in the direction of blind Bartimaeus. And every time he heard the clinging, clattering of those coins, he would reach out and try to grab them and put them in his lap, put them in his pouch. All of these sounds were stuffing the eardrums of blind Bartimaeus. And as he's picking up what people are saying, he understands that Jesus is about to pass by that Jesus and the disciples are not far behind, that they too are going to Passover and they're making their way through the village of Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And, and he, he gathers from the hustle and bustle of the crowd that, that Jesus and Peter, James and John and all the boys, that they are making their way and they're not far behind. He says to some of his friends when Jesus gets close, please let me know. And his friends looked at him and said, oh, blind Bartimaeus, when Jesus gets close, we don't have to tell you because the crowd will get so raucous. It's as if a rock star has arrived. Everybody will be clamoring for his attention. Everybody will be requesting to gain his audience. Everybody will be shouting unto him, oh, blind Bartimaeus, you'll know when Jesus passes by. And blind Bartimaeus had heard of Jesus. He had never met him before, but he certainly had heard the stories. Jesus was that rabbi who had caused some trouble with the religious establishment. He had ruffled some pharisaical feathers. He was making a name for himself. He was an upstart rabbi in the ministry for only about three years now. And Jesus had made a name for himself as a mighty miracle worker, as a phenomenal preacher of God's word. In fact, the stories were amazing. There was one story that Bartimaeus had heard where uh, Jesus was doing things that only God could do. Jesus had healed a leper from leprosy. Leprosy was that dreaded skin disease of the first century. And according to the sacred script, what you and I call the Old Testament, then in the Old Testament, there are only two success stories of lepers who are healed from their leprosy. And both times it is God that does the healing. And now there's a story floating around that Jesus had reached out and touched a leprous hand and that leprosy had been cured. And the skin was as smooth as ever before. Oh, Jesus had been healing the leper, but Jesus had also been speaking to a paralytic a man who could not get up. In fact, his friends had to bring him, cut a hole in the roof of the house where Jesus was staying, plop him right in front of Jesus. And Jesus said to that paralytic, not only get up, but he also said, your sins are forgiven. Only God can do something like that. Only God can truly forgive sin. Only God can work in such a mighty way. And the story goes that the paralytic jumped to his feet and he walked out in plain sight of everybody. Oh, Bart. Emmaus had heard the stories he knew that this Jesus who was about to pass by was one who had made a special trip to the garrisons to interact with a lunatic demon-possessed man named legion and and the story goes that that Jesus got there and and this demon-possessed man was then made sane again And the demon-possessed man was one who was now in his right mind. And he was one who was going around everywhere telling anybody who would listen about this one named Jesus. All the stories are flying around. In fact, Bartimaeus had heard that there was a synagogue ruler named Jairus. And Jairus had a little girl that was sick. And instead of getting better, she got worse and she died. And Jairus, the synagogue ruler, broke rank. He went outside of what was culturally acceptable. He sought the guidance and the advice of Jesus. He implored Jesus to come to his house. And this is what the story says. The story says that Jesus walked in the house. Everybody knew that Jairus' little girl was dead. And then momentarily Jesus walks out of the house and mom and dad and everybody are so excited and they're so thrilled. And then the little girl, the 12 year old girl she came walking out of the house. Y'all must have heard the story before because y'all aren't very excited. But for blind Bartimaeus, this was an amazing story. This is a story of Jesus. And when he puts all these stories together, he's realizing that this Jesus who's about to pass by, he's doing things only God can do. So you tell me when Jesus passes by. Oh, you you tell me when Jesus is in my neck of the woods. You tell me when Jesus is about to pass by, because I'm going to try my best to get his attention. Scripture says that Jesus passed by and blind Bartimaeus screamed at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, that is a mouthful. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting to note that This is the last miraculous healing story of Jesus in Mark's gospel. It's the last one. This is also the only miraculous healing story in Mark's gospel where the name of the one healed is given to us. Every other miraculous healing story in Mark's gospel is anonymous. This is the only one that's tied to a name, the man's name, Bartimaeus. Now, you may sit there and think, but wait a minute, pastor, you just referenced the lunatic named Legion. Wasn't that his name? That wasn't the name his mama gave him. That was the name that the demons called him. That wasn't really his name. The only one that we know the true name and the true identity to is this blind man named Bartimaeus. And in Mark's gospel, this is the only time that anybody ever references Jesus as son of David. There are other gospel writers who employ that term frequently. But for Mark, this is the one and only time that anybody ever says that Jesus is son of David. That phrase son of David has rich Old Testament overtones to it. For many of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all declare that when Messiah comes, he will be of the line and lineage of David. He will be the son of David. In fact, there was even a popular belief and a popular thought that when Messiah comes, he will be a descendant of David. So that when Jesus, in the very next chapter, makes his way into the city of Jerusalem, they will wave palm branches, put their cloaks and palm branches on the ground, and they will shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the kingdom of David. So even there, they are declaring that Jesus is the long awaited Messiah. He is the one that the Old Testament proclaimed, and He's here in living color, live in our very sight. And Jesus is here as Son of David. What Mark is telling us is what Peter had confessed, and heaven had confirmed. Bartimaeus has now concluded. That Jesus is son of David. He is Christ. He is long awaited Messiah. How else do you explain it? Just look at what he's doing. Listen to what he's saying. Only God in the flesh could be doing these things and saying these things. Only the Messiah could fit this bill. This must be Jesus, son of David. And then Bartimaeus says, have mercy on me. That word mercy means kindness, compassion sympathy. In fact, it is one of the few words that consistently describe God in the Old and New Testament. It's a word that describes not only his attitude, but also his activity. He is merciful in attitude, And God is merciful in his activity so that his sympathy always leads to service. That how he approaches his people uh, in attitude impact the way he treats his people through action. That God is merciful. Just take, for example, the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. In the 150 Psalms, on at least seven occasions, the author of those Psalms cries out, Have mercy on me, O God. One of the most famous places is Psalm 51. After David's escapade with Bathsheba, he's confronted by Nathan the prophet. Nathan says, you are the man. David retreats into his study and he pens in brokenness. Psalm 51 Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression. That word mercy is actually a verb. I want you to mercy me. I want you to have mercy upon me. Please have sympathy towards me, not because of my action, because my action is filthy. I want you to have sympathy towards me because that's your demeanor. Please be compassionate. Please help me. Please be kind towards me. This is how the psalmist routinely cries out to God. Oh God, have mercy upon me. That's very consistent in the New Testament. In a place like Ephesians chapter two is the apostle Paul who says, God, who is rich in mercy has made us alive in Christ Jesus that this God that we serve, he is rich, he is overflowing, he is wealthy in mercy. He longs to be merciful. In fact, Isaiah will say in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, that our God longs to be merciful to his people. This is part of his DNA. This is part of his makeup. God wants to be merciful to you. God longs to be merciful to his people. Here in our story, Blind Blind Bartimaeus just says, "Jesus." Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd told him to pipe down. Be quiet. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Just shut up. Just be quiet. Nobody's listening to you. You're blind. You're a beggar. You're a nobody. This is Jesus we're talking about. And the crowd looked at him and just said, Be quiet. And blind Bartimaeus cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It is this phrase that calls Jesus to stop in his tracks. Now stop and think about that just for a moment. This crowd is hundreds, if not thousands. And everybody is... Calling out to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, come over here. Hey, Jesus, help me out. Hey, Jesus, remember me. Hey, Jesus, I need you to do this. Hey, Jesus, I need you to do that. Hey, Jesus, I'm just saying hello. Hey, Jesus, everybody is crying out to Jesus. It is loud. It is it is uncontrollable, the volume of people and voices that are going on in this moment. And also keep in mind, that Jesus in this moment is a man on a mission. He has his sights set for Calvary. He knows he's going to Jerusalem for what will be the last week of his life on planet Earth. He is like a missile focused on Jerusalem. He is not going to allow any insignificant thing to derail him, to deter him, To distract him. He has purpose in his step. There is meaning in every movement. He knows he's going from Jericho to Jerusalem. He is working it. He is moving. He is keeping the crowd going along. And all of a sudden he stops in his tracks. All because he hears one voice. Of one man. Cry out to him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus serves as an example for Mark's audience, whether the audience is in the first century or whether the audience is in the 21st century. Keep in mind that Mark's original audience were Gentile believers living in and around Rome in the mid-60s of the first century. They were facing enormous persecution. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ, Some of them were being kidnapped under the cover of night. Some of them were being thrown into the Colosseum to the Roaring Lions. Others of them were being speared alive and set ablaze to illuminate Nero's gardens at night. Still other Christians, because of their unwavering faith in Christ, they were losing their property, losing their jobs, suffering heavy taxation, losing their families, losing their very lives. And some other living, believing Christians were saying, listen, if that's what's happening to those individuals, I better just be quiet. Because the culture in the mid 60s of the first century was saying to the church, pipe down be quiet nobody cares what you have to say and blind Bartimaeus would not listen to the cultural crowd he would not listen because he knew that God does not want silent saints and so he shouted all the more Jesus son of David have mercy on me oh my friend the same thing applies to us in the 21st century. There are people in our culture that want to silence the voice of the church. People in our culture that want to mute followers of the Messiah. People in our culture that say to us blatantly, just sit down and shut up. Just be quiet. Ain't nobody care what you have to say. And in those moments, my friend, when persecution comes at you at various forms, I want you to remember blind Bartimaeus who said, I cannot act to the cultural crowd of my society so he shouted all the more jesus son of david have mercy on me and it's this adamant declaration of christ that causes jesus to stop in his tracks call him jesus said and the crowd turned on a dime crowds always turn on a dime the crowd that said be quiet pipe down then say to him, cheer up, good job, that way to go. He wants you, go, stand in front of the master. They flipped like a light switch. They turned on a dime because Jesus was calling him. And so blind Bartimaeus jumped up with joy. He said, how do you know that he jumped up with joy? He flew and flung off his outer garment. He, he threw his cloak to the side. Now what's in that cloak? Coins, money. All that change is now clinging and clattering down the cobblestone streets. And he says, that's okay. I don't need that anymore. I'm going to gain an audience with Jesus. So he throws it aside and he jumps up with haste. He jumps up with joy and he goes and he stands before Jesus. Friends, have you ever noticed that every time People have a genuine encounter with Jesus, joy always results. You ever notice that? I mean you 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 can't have an encounter with Christ and be unhappy. You just can't do it. I mean, if you truly encounter Jesus, you got to get happy a little bit. If you really encounter Christ, there's a joy that must come over you. This is very consistent all throughout the gospel. For the angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. I referenced the paralytic. When the paralytic jumped up with joy, he went out in full view of them all, and he rejoiced because of what Jesus had done in his life. And also Also, when you think about that lunatic named Legion, when he was brought to his sanity and and when Jesus was about to go back across the Sea of Galilee, he follows him and says, please let me get in the boat with you. And Jesus says, no, you can't do that. I need you to go and tell everybody in the surrounding area what the Lord has done for you. And the scripture writer says that he went around the Decapolis, the 10 cities, and he joyfully told everybody what Jesus had done in his life. You remember the story of that woman who was crazy? She was bent over. And on the Sabbath, Jesus had the audacity to call her from the back of the synagogue, called her up. She came hunched over and Jesus laid his holy hands on her shoulders for the first time in nearly two decades. This woman stands up straight without pain, without discomfort in her shoulders and her back. And she was miraculously healed. And in that moment, the entire crowd, all the church people that were in the synagogue, the scripture says they rejoiced because of what Jesus had done. Friend, whenever you encounter Jesus, joy ought to always result. Whenever you come face to face with Christ, joy ought to be the result because when Jesus shows up, his people get happy. When Jesus shows up, there is joy that's in the heart. I'm talking about a joy that the world cannot waste away. I'm talking about a joy that a bad economy cannot evaporate. I'm talking about a joy that unemployment cannot undermine. I'm talking about a joy that disease cannot debilitate. That cancer cannot cripple I'm I'm talking about a joy that tornadoes cannot topple. I'm talking about a joy that pain cannot paralyze. I'm talking about a joy that is everlasting. Whenever people encounter Jesus, joy always results. Yeah. With joy, blind Bartimaeus got up and he went and stood in front of Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? interesting question. Jesus knows all things. Certainly he knows that Bartimaeus is blind. Just look at his face and you can tell that. Certainly he must know that blind Bartimaeus wants his sight, but he asked him the question, what do you want me to do for you? It was one thing for Jesus to know it, but Bartimaeus had to know it. I want to see came from his lips. Jesus asked him the question, what do you want me to do for you? It's not the only time in Mark's gospel when he asked such a question. In fact, he had just asked that question in the preceding passage. Mark chapter 10, beginning of verse 35, it's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question in both places. What do you want me to do for you? James and John were asking for positions of power and prominence. They said, let one of us sit on your right and the other one sit on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, boys, you don't even know what you're asking for. But in our story, to blind Bartimaeus, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Rabbi... I want to see. He uses the term rabbi, which the actual word he uses is the same word that Mary Magdalene will use on that first Easter morning. Uh, When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and sees that the tomb is empty, thinking that somebody had stolen the body, she sees somebody standing there and assuming that that's the gardener, she says, please tell me where you have taken the body and placed it. And then Jesus, the resurrected Christ, says to Mary Magdalene her name. When he says Mary, with that inflection, with, with, with with that voice, she responds, Rabboni, which means teacher. That's the same word that Bartimaeus uses, Rabboni. I want to see, what's he asking for? I want to see you. I want to see your creation. I want you to do what I cannot do for myself. I want you to do what only you can do. I want you to do to me What only God can do, and I believe that you are God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I believe that you are God in the flesh, so I need for you to touch my life in such a way. I need for you to change me in such a way. I need for you to do to me what I cannot do for myself, and what only God can do for me. So, Rabboni, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said... Go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the way. Jesus said, go, be on your way. Your faith has healed you. That word healed can also be translated as saved. It's the same word. And I think that Mark is doing this double meaning intentionally. Intentionally. That it is by faith that Bartimaeus was healed physically. It is by faith that he was saved spiritually. And Mark uses his favorite word immediately to say that immediately blind Bartimaeus received his sight. It's not that his sight was restored as if he'd had it at one time and then it brought back uh, to him. No, he received it as if for the first time. So check this out. The very first person that blind Bartimaeus ever saw was Jesus. The very first face he ever witnessed was Jesus. The very first person that he ever laid his eyes on was Jesus and he saw Jesus and Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately his sight uh, was, was received in his life and he followed along the way, which is Mark's way of saying that he became a disciple of Christ. He followed, he walked with Jesus along the way. Once again, Mark is showing the audience this is an example of what a disciple looks like. Because think about what blind Bartimaeus does. He understands accurately the identity of Jesus. He responds immediately to the call of Jesus. And he follows spontaneously as a disciple of Jesus. And Mark is giving this as an example to anybody who's going to read his gospel track. This is what you must do when you encounter Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you must know him accurately. You must declare he is Christ. He's Messiah. He's son of David. He is the one to bring mercy to his people. You must accurately understand who he is. And secondly, you've got to be one who responds uh, immediately and obediently to the call of Christ in your life. And then you follow spontaneously as a disciple of Jesus. This is the portrait of what you and I ought to do when we encounter the living christ blind bartimaeus stands in stark contrast to the rich young ruler that we talked about last sunday the rich young ruler asked the question what must i do to inherit eternal life and when jesus tapped in on the idol of greed that had gripped his heart he walked away sad because he had great wealth he walked away and did not follow jesus on the flip side, you got blind Bartimaeus. He acknowledges who Jesus is, recognizes his identity, uh, uh, responds immediately to the to the call of Christ upon his life, and spontaneously follows him as a disciple of Christ. This is what it looks like to know Jesus and make him known. This is what it looks like to recognize who Jesus is and to follow him appropriately, even when the cultural crowd is telling you to pipe down. So my friend, I ask you this morning, what would you like for Jesus to do for you today? What would you like for Jesus to do for you today? Because whether you know it or not, he's passing by. Whether you realize it or not, he's here. Whether you acknowledge it or not, I want you to know that the Savior of the universe, the king of all kings, the lord of all lords is passing by. He is here. So in this moment, as one beggar to another beggar, in this moment, let me ask you, what would you ask Jesus for? What do you want Jesus to do in your life? What would you ask him for in this moment? Blind Bartimaeus said, I want to see. I want to see you. I want to see your creation. I want to see uh, what you can do in my life because you, I need you to do something that I cannot do for myself. I need for you to do something only God can do in my life. I want to see. Friend, what would you ask Jesus for? In this moment, would you ask Jesus, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I ask you to um, mend my marriage. Jesus, I ask you to rid my body of cancer. Jesus, I ask you to heal my spouse. Jesus, I ask you to save my son. Jesus, I ask you to rescue my prodigal daughter. Jesus, I ask you to give me that job. Jesus, we ask you to give us that child. Jesus, I ask you to help mom and dad stop fighting. Jesus, I ask you to help me with the algebra test. Jesus, I ask you to Help me get on the baseball team, Jesus. I ask you uh, to give me that promotion, Jesus. I ask you to do the impossible in my life, Jesus. I ask you to help me with the sin that so easily entangles me, Jesus. I need for you to show up and show off, friend. What would you ask Jesus to do in this very moment if Jesus is passing by, which I think he is, if Jesus is here, which I know he is, if Jesus is coming in our direction, which I'm confident that he is? What would you ask? the beggar say to the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords may you say like blind bartimaeus jesus son of david have mercy on me if you could ask for anything what would it be if you could ask jesus for anything today what would it be blind bartimaeus received his sight he followed Jesus along the path, and Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. By week's end, the same crowd that shouted, Hosanna, will shout, Crucify him. And Jesus will be beaten and bruised beyond all human recognition. Jesus will stumble and stagger through the streets of Jerusalem with a cross beam tied to his back. Jesus will make his way up the skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. And there Jesus will be stretched wide and raised high for your sins and mine, friend. That's mercy. Jesus will writhe in pain. Jesus will declare, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. He will declare that the job is done. Mission accomplished. He will bow his head and give up his ghost. He will die for all of your mistakes, past, present, and future. He'll die for all your failures, past, present, and future. He'll die in your place so that you might live. The innocent one will be declared guilty so that we who are guilty might be declared innocent. Friend, that is mercy. And on the third day, Jesus will be raised from the dead with all healing. Power and victory in his hands. Friend, that's mercy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Friend, one single act of magnificent mercy can radically transform the life of one individual. What Jesus did on the cross in our place can radically transform who we are and who we serve. It can radically transform how we live life and where we're going after death. It can radically transform everything that we do. One single act of magnificent mercy. This morning I ask you friend, do you need the mercy of God? Do you need the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need kingly kindness in your life? Do you need Christological compassion in your life? Do you need sovereign sympathy to be displayed in your life? Do you need for God's mercy to come in your life? and in your marriage and in your family and in your church and in your community? Do you need for God's mercy to be unleashed upon you? If you listen closer this morning, I think you can hear blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on this church. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on our marriages. Jesus, son of David have mercy on our families. Jesus son of David have mercy on our community. Jesus son of David have mercy on this state. Jesus son of David have mercy on this nation. Jesus son of David have mercy on this planet. Jesus son of David we need your mercy. We need for you to be compassionate. We need for you to be kind to us. We need for you to show sympathy towards us this morning church. Let it not be only blind, but Emmaus, crying out to Jesus, have mercy on us. May we cry out to him. May we lie on the altar. May we get on our face before the Lord. May we say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we give you this invitation For we are convinced that we need your mercy. It's fresh each morning and we need it today. There is somebody listening to my voice who's never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And today I pray for their massive, merciful salvation to be revealed. Please, oh God, Open their eyes unto your salvation. Please, oh Lord, draw them unto yourself. Please, Lord, help them to walk down this aisle. Take a minister by the hand and say, I need that forgiveness. I need that Jesus to fix me. There's somebody here who needs to respond in faith. But Father, I'm also convinced there are many believers who are beggars along the street. There are many believers who are here today and we say, God, we need your help and we need your healing and we need your mercy. So Father, please hear all of the beggars today as we simply cry out to you and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us for we want to see in Jesus name we pray Amen